Psalm 112, we're going to camp out there tonight. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn there or they'll have that on the overhead screen here. A little background first. Uh, it's always good to do that, especially when you're in a book like this. Uh, the book of Psalms is a songbook. We need to remember that. We're reading the songbook of the first temple of King Solomon. And we also have to remember the, this was not a book meant to be read, rather a book to be sung. How about that? And we also need to remember that this is Hebrew poetry. These are not narratives, like if you read Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and Samuel, you're reading what's called a narrative. Uh, that's read very differently than if you read poetry. People today don't read poetry very much, so that's kind of a lost art, but we need to know we approach it in a different way. It has a different meaning coming towards us here. So um, uh, we need to realize we're reading the lyrics of songs. Uh, in uh, Psalms, uh, the word psalm is an odd word. It's, uh, it's, it's a Greek word, and in English it means literally twang, the sound of a harp, twang. Uh, it comes from the Greek, the sound a harp makes. Um, in the Old Testament, uh, I don't know what it was, 170 B.C., uh, a group of 70 Hebrew scholars got together and translated the Hebrew into Greek. And that's called the Septuagint. If they had not done that, we would probably not understand Hebrew today. Because it was the words they chose at their time of what were the Greek equivalents of the Hebrew words. It becomes an immensely important tool in understanding Hebrew. And oddly enough, they changed the name of the book and called it Twang, uh, Psalms. Uh, so, and that has remained to this very day. Uh, so, Psalms is a collection of songs over hundreds of years of Jewish history by the time we get to Solomon. And uh, we also need to remember, as I said, it's not a narrative. These Psalms fit inside of the history books, the narrative books. So, you could be reading, let's say, Samuel get through a couple chapters, and all of a sudden, you should be reading a psalm, because it fits there historically. And so that's kind of hard for us to visualize. Now, you can buy a chronological Bible, they make them, where the Bible is laid out in chronological order, not in topical order, because the Bibles we read are in topical order. In other words, all the poetry books are together, the history books are together. A chronological Bible would interplace them where they belong. So that would be a big help if you had that. You don't have to, but they're nice. Um, so um, the, <clears throat> this poetry book, Psalms, it, this is the uh, spiritual life of the Hebrew people in the, in the Old Testament. So in brief, uh, that's about it. And all I want to say, if you want to know more, come to our Bible school and we'll tell you more about Psalms. But I do have a treat for you tonight, because it is Christmas. I do have a treat. Uh, did you ever think, perhaps, uh, what do these psalms, these uh, psalms that we read, what did they sound like if they sang them? You ever wonder about that? Oh, I did. Now, some of those melodies have definitely lost the time. Some, apparently, some Jewish people believe they have the original melodies. I have an example of one. No, I'm not going to sing. You can smile. Uh, this is from Psalm 121, and it's verses 1 to 4, sung by Michael Card in Hebrew and English. Maestro, please, nice and loud.
Psalms again the same way. That's how it would be read. It's sung. Pretty wild. Pretty wild stuff. So you're here at Psalm 112. Uh, so this is a psalm, like you just heard, Psalm 121, that's meant to be sung, not read. So anyway, historically here, Psalm 112 fits at around Ezra chapter 6. That's where you would place this in its history context. Ezra here is concerned about the restoration of the nation of Israel. Now, some Bibles have titles over Psalms, some don't. In this Psalm, my Bible has a title. It's called The Prosperity of One Who Fears the Lord. So, my message tonight is called The Prosperity of a Believer. Uh, so, before we look at Psalm 112, let's do a little more background here on this topic of prosperity because that word invokes a lot of meaning to people, and some of it's not good, and some of it is distorted. So, uh, but definitely, it's probably not biblical. So, let's look at some of this. Before we say the word prosperity, we need to consider biblically it is definitely not limited to finances. It does not just mean finances in the Hebrew mind. Uh, when the Hebrews use the word shalom, which uh, means far greater than peace, that we could translate it in English. Shalom was meant to be, in Hebrew, a total well-being, a total prosperity in spirit, soul, body, and social, because God's blessings in our lives are seen in all these areas. So, uh, our being believers, Jesus became our shalom on the cross. In Isaiah 53, verse 5, in the Amplified Bible, it says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our wickedness, our sin, our injustice, our wrongdoing. The punishment required for our well-being, that root there in Hebrew is shalom, fell upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. So note here, for our well-being, um, this is the shalom concept. What Jesus did on the cross was for my shalom, my total prosperity, spirit, soul, and body. 
and social. And so we also have a great scripture in 3 John verse 2, Amplified Bible. Uh, Beloved, I pray that in every way you may succeed and prosper and be in good health physically, just as I know your soul prospers spiritually. Now, this is an interesting verse because the soul here is a hinge. If we yield it to the Word of God, we prosper spiritually. If we don't yield it to the Word of God, we don't prosper spiritually. Our soul is a decision maker that leads us back and forth. And if we are uh, yielding to the Spirit, yielding to the things of the Word of God, we experience a shalom in our lives, a prosperity in our lives. So again here, the point being uh, both in Old Testament and New Testament, prosperity has got to mean a lot more than just finances. It's a total well-being to our lives that Jesus brings us. However, finances are certainly a part of it. Uh, And we need to realize that finances are more than just a piled up accumulations of wealth that we could have. It has to mean more than that, especially in biblical terms. Now, what I just uh, spoke for our um, offering time here uh, from, uh, I want to read it again. Paul tells us here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, and my God is able to make all grace, didn't say finances, grace, the ability of God's shalom, His His goodness in our lives, make all grace abound to us. Thank you. God doesn't add things to us. He abounds to us. He's not an adder. He's a multiplier. Uh, That you may always have all sufficiency in all things and have an abundance for every good work. All of us every day, year in, year out, are faced with good works that we could participate in especially financially. And that's a very big deal. So an accumulation of wealth for the believer should not be for our own selfish desires. Boy, we've missed it by a mile if that's how we're thinking. But to have an abundance in our finances is to have an abundance for every good work that I could have a part in promoting the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know about you, but it bothers me greatly when I don't have enough money to give the way I want to. Uh, because there are always many opportunities coming my way to financially bless other people, to bless the gospel, and I might have, not have the funds I want to have to give. So I need to prosper as a believer that I would abound in my desire to give because there's nothing more frustrating when the pockets are empty. Uh, I don't know if you remember the name John Wesley. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism. Uh, John Wesley, in his day... Uh, there's been different numbers uh, that roamed around, but he, he was, in the offerings he received in, in, as a minister, he was quite well off. Yet when he passed away, there was nothing left over because he had given it all away. Anyway, there's a story he tells that um, in those days, if you rented a room somewhere, you didn't clean it yourself, you didn't care for it yourself, you had a chambermaid who took care of it, and there was no indoor plumbing, so she took care of the chamber. And that's the way life was. And anyway, there was the chambermaid who took care of his room. I forgot where he was and uh, if he was just staying there for a few weeks or what. But anyway, she comes to the door to say goodnight to him. And I think it was Christmas season and he was looking out the window and it was snowing. And she didn't have much of a, she didn't even have a coat, just a kind of a shawl she had wrapped around her that had a lot of holes in it. And he didn't like that. So he goes to his pocket and he goes to give her money to buy a shawl and there's nothing there. He goes, uh, have a good night. Merry Christmas. And she leaves. And he's like, my money. 
And then he looks on the wall, and he had just purchased some paintings for his room that day. Now, nothing wrong with that. But the Lord said to him, that is her coat on your wall. Now, he felt terrible. If he had only stopped and paused for a second and really sought the Lord, maybe this money isn't for pictures today. It's for something else I might need. And that's what it was. And that's what it feels like when you know you can really help somebody who needs the help because he wanted her to buy a coat for herself, not have a shawl, and he didn't have the money to give her. That's a very frustrating experience. So we all need to prosper better. Amen? So that those that we meet that are in need, we can be uh, Jesus in the flesh to them. Amen? The Jesus that loves them and shows it. So plenty in Hebrew is, the, is a biblical concept. It's not a bad concept to have plenty. Lack is an enemy. And in the Christian church, uh, there is a spirit and a mentality of poverty that came to us in the Middle Ages. In the Middle Ages, in the, in the church, there was a concept that poverty and lack were of God. And they were godly things to pursue. Now, this does not agree with biblical teachings as we've been looking at, both in Hebrew and in, Eng and in Greek from the Old and New Testament. So, um, uh, this is definitely not a proper view. So, by not having this correct biblical view of finances, the Christians over the centuries have bought into this lie hook, line, and sinker. And due to the tradition of men over the centuries, uh, they have followed this, and this has become a false teaching that exists to this very day. To have lack is a godly thing. You're closer to the Lord. No, you're not. You're in lack. You're not closer to the Lord. You're in lack. And that is not good. So this is a mentality I would submit to you we must kill in our lives. This is not a mentality of the Lord. A poverty mentality is not of God. So you, may, you might ask, well, how do I know if I have a poverty mentality? It's actually very easy. It will uh, cause you to be afraid to give. A poverty mentality fears giving. It will cause me to be afraid to tithe, give 10% of my income to the gospel. I'll be afraid to do it. A poverty mentality will always keep me in fear over what I have left and squeeze Lincoln so hard I will make him cry. Now, we don't want to do that. So, as I said, uh, all this background, because we don't see this mentality in Psalm 112, as we're going to look at it. We see the opposite. Here in Psalm 112, we're going to see that wealth and riches are of God. Huh? Not something churches have taught over the centuries. Here in Psalm 112, we're going to see that uh, giving is of God, and the giver is to be honored. It's not the amount we give that's the issue. But uh, in other words, he who gives higher amounts is not better than he who gives lower amounts. God doesn't love somebody who gives higher amounts more than somebody who gives lower amounts. That's not the key at all. Uh, rather, it is the willingness of the heart to have a life of giving. So one more thought to share on that, on, Psalm, on here before we go to Psalm 112. Um, uh, living a life of a giver we need to start to change our thinking, isn't limited to finances. Did you ever realize that? Uh, helping others, expecting nothing in return when you help them, is living the life of a giver. How many people I've met who like to give people rides to help them out? That's a life of a giver. Um, 
sharing your talents that you might have, carpentry, auto mechanics, sewing, uh, cleaning leaves in someone's yard. That's giving and living a life where you can find how you can help other people. That's the life of a giver. That's the heart of a giver, okay? So giving compliments to people, words of encouragement. People need words of encouragement. Giving encouragement is living the life of a giver. You know, we all need words of encouragement. You know, people, oh, I don't need to have my encouragement. Yes, you do. We all need words of encouragement. My gosh, what do children need from their parents in abundance? Encouragement. If you're a parent and you don't encourage your children, what kind of a parent are you? If you're married, do you encourage your spouse? If you don't encourage your spouse, what kind of a spouse are you? If you don't encourage them, who will? And of course, the body of Christ. We are to be encouraging one another. Gosh, if someone you see does well in a song on a Sunday morning or playing a musical instrument or just serves here with gladness in their heart and they bless you, tell them so. Tell them that you were a blessing to me today when I saw how hard you were serving the Lord or whatever. We need to give words of encouragement. To do that, to purpose to do that is being a giver. That's the life of a giver. So it's more than just finances. Giving our time and our, uh, our, giving our talents also is part of giving our treasures as the life of a giver. So you and I want to pursue being people who are givers. Amen? Amen? We want to do that. It really makes a difference. So many people in life uh, never ever get uh, complimented or encouraged. And when they find somebody that does that to them, it means the world to them. Absolutely means the world. And who knows what God would do through your words of encouragement. Certainly there are many stories we could tell that we're not going to tonight of people who's had entire lives changed because someone told them don't give up. Uh, the immense amount of inventions that came out because someone encouraged somebody who was ready to give up. Amazing. So, we we're off now to Psalm 112. Let's go there. Psalm 112. Uh, I'm going to read these, some of them out of the Amplified Bible. Uh, verse 1 is out of the Amplified. Praise the Lord, hallelujah. And if you didn't know, that's what hallelujah means, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, hallelujah. Blessed, fortunate, prosperous, and favored by God is the man who fears the Lord with an awe-inspired reverence and worships him with obedience, who delights greatly in his commandments. So here we see that fear means to revere with deep respect, deference, uh, submission, admiration. It includes giving profound honor, okay? And here we see also the word commandments, it, although literally it could mean uh, the commandments as in the book of Deuteronomy that we have in um, uh, uh, the Old Testament, but it literally it means uh, that, but it is in reference to the entire Word of God. Uh, when you see that always used in commandments or in generic of the Word of God, so that we would greatly delight in the Word of God. So here we have the ones who are delighting in the Word of God. It, it, this is the reason why we prosper. Our, our prosperity does not come from how clever I am to earn amounts of money. It means I'm in the Word of God, and the Word of God is promoting me. The Word of God is prospering me. It's a direct product of my being in the Word of God. The Word of God produces a prosperous life. That means you wouldn't be wrong as you're reading the Word of God. Ooh, am I prospering now or what? Yeah, you would be correct. Absolutely. 
It's producing something in your life that you can't touch with your five senses, but it is something that's happening in you. Your, your life is prospering. Gosh, how many people have you met? I've met many, many over the years. They come to Christ, they start to read the Word of God, their life changes. Their entire well-being changes. Uh, life goes better for them. Why? They're prospering. It's more than just finances. It's the Word of God in them is advancing them. My gosh, what can you do in this world to actually advance yourself? Reading the Word of God alone, putting it in you and believing it, prospers our lives. Heavy stuff here. Okay, on to verses 2 and 3, also Amplified Bible. His descendants will be mighty on the earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. How about that? Wow. This is an ultimate prosperity that extends to other generations, a generational blessing. If you have children, one of your main jobs is that they carry a generational blessing that they learn from their parents. That uh, very recently, I kind of said the same thing. I did a few funerals recently of some elderly people who passed away. And I said, um, you know, what did they sow into you, these people? What values did they give you? What part of them is still inside of you because of what they taught you? You're expected to live that out. You're expected to give that to your children. You're expected to have that carry on from one generation to another. These positive things that make us better people that they sowed into us. That's a generational blessing. You and I, especially your parents, our parents have the ability to produce a generational blessing. We just think, well, they grew up, they're still alive, they're adults now, I did my job. No, there's more than that. Are they carrying a generational blessing that you've passed on to them? What are they carrying on in life because of you, their life will advance? It can be finances, of course, but it's got to be more than that. It's got to be that we passed on a generational blessing to them. And if you have little ones now, start. Start thinking, how do I pass on a generational blessing to my children? So, we have here, notice here that this blessing is seen as prosperity. Um, This blessing is is seen uh, as uh, how is prosperity seen? The signs are wealth and riches. Verse 3, wealth and riches are in his house. Notice, this is not a poverty mentality. It wasn't Papa was a rolling stone, all he left was alone. It wasn't that. This was not a poverty mentality. Wealth and riches are in their home. And if you notice here in the psalm, wealth and riches of themselves are not evil. What we do with them is what matters. Right? Uh, Do we become unselfish or greatly selfish? That's our choice. What will we do with what we have? I think there was a a great um, Bible teacher of the 1800s, Andrew Murray. Anybody ever read Andrew Murray? Well, we need more people to read Andrew Murray. Okay. Andrew Murray was a pastor from South Africa in the 1800s. And Andrew Murray wrote in a book once, uh, um, men ask, I think I memorized it, men ask, what do we do with, uh, men ask, what money do we have? God asks, what do we do with the money we have? And I think he was right. What are we doing with this wealth and riches that have been given to us? All right, verse 4 here. Uh, This is New American Standard Bible. Light arises in darkness for the upright, 
He is gracious and compassionate and righteous. Okay, now we have here another sign of prosperity. The lifestyle of one who is prosperous is in right standing with the Father because of Jesus and our understanding. And because of our right standing with the Father that we have in Jesus, we act in a gracious and compassionate manner. If Christians cannot be gracious and compassionate, and I've met many, only God knows what they are because that isn't normal. A believer is meant to have characteristics of being gracious and compassionate, especially when no one can pay you back, when no one can return the kindness. Will we be gracious and compassionate? It's really nice to be nice to people who can be nice to you back, but what, what if they can't? What will you do then? And that is the sign of one who is right in, in standing with the Lord. He acts in a gracious and compassionate manner. All right, on here to verses 5 and 6. It goes well for a person who is gracious and lends. He will maintain his cause in judgment. He will never be shaken. The righteous will be remembered forever. So we have here this man or this woman of prosperity is right with God and other people notice it. Other people notice what kind of people they are. Uh, they are people that lend and are gracious. I remember Walter Hill used to always uh, have, a, have a teaching he used to weave in every now and then. Uh, if his particular position of life was anything he ever loaned anybody, he never expected them to pay it back. If they did, great. Most didn't. And he didn't go after them, and he didn't have a puss on his face, and he didn't think nasty of them. He just forgave them. So when we give, we are gracious to know, well, if I never see this again, may God be blessed anyway. That should be our attitude. And if you can't do that, I get it, then don't loan it. That's simple. Don't. Yeah. But if you uh, have the attitude of, uh, well, I could tell, and we won't go there, like it tells in the, in the, in the epistles, rather be defrauded. I'd rather be defrauded than to think ill of or judge my brother or sister in Christ. They can have it then as a gift. So it's very important that uh, the, it goes well for a person that's gracious and lends. Um, so also we see here the circumstances of life here, as we're reading these verses, it doesn't shake these people. It doesn't defeat them. You can't bring these people down when they maintain a life of graciousness and compassion towards others. You don't bring these people down. They can't. They always have a joy in their lives. And remember here, uh, this speaks of an eternal honor. The righteous will be remembered forever, it says. This is an eternal honor. Uh, you notice here, this is related to people who have been kind to others with their finances. The Lord likes that when we're nice to other people. You all listening tonight? Getting something out of this? All right, verses 7 and 8 out of the Amplified Bible again. And this is about the prosperous man, the prosperous woman. He will not fear bad news. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is firm. He will not fear, but he will look with satisfaction on his enemies. So one who is secure in Christ doesn't fear bad news. It is an op bad news for this person is an opportunity for victory. 
I just know a believer who came to Grace and Peace years ago on his stationery. He has his own stationery. On his stationery, he had at the bottom of his stationery, every obstacle is an opportunity. I like that. That was good. This guy was positively positive and correct. Every, uh, every obstacle is an opportunity. I, I really like that. that. That is a good thing here, you know, that we have. Um, uh, that uh, every opportunity is an opportunity for victory here. And the enemies here for us, it talks about uh, that the, uh, he will look with satisfaction upon his enemies. Enemies here aren't people. Uh, we war against the demonic, not people. It is the demonic that harass believers. And as we're reading here, we need to remember lack is a spirit. Poverty is a spirit. Those are our enemies. We want to see them destroyed, and that brings us satisfaction. And if you're, a people, if you're a person who truly likes to build up other people, you want to see poverty and lack in their lives destroyed. There was this one Christian, I don't remember who it was. It might have been the guy who started A&P. Who remembers A&P? Old people, A&P. It was a department store. Atlantic Pacific Tea Company, was it, I think, originally? Yeah, yeah, thank you. You must be really old. Anyway, um, that man had several millionaires who worked for him. And somebody had asked him one time, why do you have millionaires working for you? He said, when they started working for me, they weren't millionaires. He made a life mission to advance other people. Wow, that says a lot. All right, here we have verse 9 here. Um, pause for a drink. Verse 9, he has freely given to the poor. Here it is again. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted in honor. Notice this is a person not waiting to give. He already has the practice of a giver. And we have the scripture still up there, um, which I'll, I'll get back in a second. Uh, so here we have someone who gives alms. Now, alms simply means giving to the poor. You'll see it all through the Bible. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a biblical word, expression, practice of those that are poor, and you give unto those that cannot pay you back. You know, almsgiving is a, is a, is a wonderful thing. Uh, in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17, it says, one who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord. How do you lend to the Lord? Lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his good deed. Can you trust God or what? Come on. Wow, that, that is really something. To knowing I can trust the Lord to repay me. That is an amazing thought. One who is gracious to the poor lends to the Lord. So these are the prosperous works of a believer. They don't hoard money, they give. So almsgiving is always a great opportunity. And if you don't really have the mentality of, well, I don't know if I want to hang around the streets and meet people in gutters and give them $100 bills. You don't have to do that. Your own church here has what we call a benevolence committee uh, to help people with finances when they can't pay certain bills. They're an anonymous group of people. The pastors do not make these decisions. This group of people makes the decisions. And um, this way, when members of the church first, then faithful attenders, then those who don't, don't attend the church, uh, have financial requests of needs, it's submitted to this benevolence committee, and they help pay their bills. And um, uh, so... It's always a great idea that you and I should give occasionally into that fund. 
on, when you give, a, for example, an offering envelope on a Sunday or Wednesday, whenever you give, you can always write there, Benevolence Fund. And that'll go directly to the Benevolence Fund. and won't get touched anywhere else. It doesn't have to be a lot of money. If everybody gave $10 a month or $10 every two months, we'd have an abundance. It's often the money runs out too quick. <laughs> but uh, so, hey, you know, I would highly encourage you, be an almsgiver. Be someone who remembers the poor, and that's the easiest way to do it in your own church. Uh, so I would highly recommend that if you don't do that already. Uh, my wife and I have always done that over the years. Not every single month, but occasionally we do. And we, and we think it's a great idea. And we think everybody should. Just give a, an occasional uh, few dollars. It doesn't have to be a large amount of money. Large amount of monies are nice. But it doesn't have to be a large amount of money. And just bless those who are hurting that particular month. And you may never know who they are, and nor should you know who they are, this side of heaven. Amen? But it's nice to just bless folks who, if we don't bless them, who will? If we can have that scripture back up there from verse 9, notice it says here at the bottom there, his horn will be exalted in honor. Uh, we have the word horn here. That doesn't mean toot, toot, toot. Uh, in, who, in Hebrew, I almost said Hebrew. In Hebrew, it's a metaphor. It means victory and strength. And if you notice here, it's capitalized. So that means it's not referring to the giver. It's referring to God. So that is when we give and care for others, it shows up as our God is being seen as strong in, the, in our lives. And the Lord our God gets the credit for our kindness and our graciousness. I think that's really nice. To Him, right, receive all the honor and glory, not me. Praise God. That's really great. Now, as we go on here to verse 10 in the Amplified Bible, so what will the Christ rejecter, modern terms, think of all this? What will the Christ rejecter think of our prosperity? Well, look here in verse 10. Uh, verse 10. The wicked will see it and be angered. He will gnash his teeth and melt away in despair and death. The desire of the wicked will perish and come to nothing. The Christ rejecter does not like it when our God gets the credit for our generosity. For years and years, especially a little more than 100 years ago, uh, the Bible rejectors and the Bible haters hated when churches would help the poor and the indigent. They hated that. Why? Because in their eyes, the church got the credit for it. No, God gets the credit for it. They used to hate that when uh, people were helped by churches. Uh, if you remember the original uh, play we've done here more than once, Scrooge, uh, right? Scrooge didn't want to give to the, to the ministers who walked by. He used to, used to play one of the ministers who walked by his uh, house and were looking for uh, an offering. Why should I? Are there not enough, enough workhouses? Let's have more workhouses. He didn't want his money to go to that. Why? Because God would take the credit, and he didn't like that. So, wow, uh, the Christ rejecter doesn't like it when God gets the credit. Now, also, we see here this righteous, wicked, righteous, wicked. You'll see that a lot in Psalms and Proverbs because these are verses that contrast each other. Uh, they show two truths simultaneously. So it's a common writing style that you'll see in Hebrew poetry. So then our prosperity in Christ— and the works of our prosperity in Christ, we see here, are noticed in heaven and by those who want to be walking in God's ways. Um, so how do the unsaved give? You know, they do give, the unsaved. Uh, their gifts are sometimes motivated by guilt 
or they're motivated uh, by making themselves feel good. A lot of people give because it makes them feel good. Or they're proud of themselves. Or they want to be noticed by others. Let's go to Mark 12. This is interesting. Here in Mark 12, we have an example of this. And Jesus sat down opposite the treasury. And he began, he began watching how the people were putting money into the treasury. And many rich people were putting in large amounts. And a poor widow came and put in two lep, uh, lepta coins, which amounted to two uh, quadrants. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, truly, now stop, whenever Jesus says truly, it's an Aramaic expression from the first century, which means what I'm about to say, you won't believe. I have to tell you up front, I'm not lying. Truly, I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the other contributors to the treasury, for they put in out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty. She put in all she owned and all she had to live on. Let's clarify this for example here. How the rich gave. This wasn't in all incidences, but very common. They'd have the treasury there in the temple and everyone could see money being put into it. Wealthy people would come by in their very expensive clothes. You can't miss them. And uh, they would have trumpeteers in back of them. I kid you not. These real long trumpets. And they would pause before the treasury and you hear, bump, bada, bump, bada, bump, bada, bump. and everyone turned looking to hear the noise, and they would pour money into the treasury and then walk away. Uh, incredible. Uh, in other verses, Jesus tells us uh, about the Pharisees and the, and the wealthy of that day. They loved the praise of men. My gosh, can you imagine people doing something like that? They carry trumpeters with them. Incredible. Well, how many people we see unsaved uh, in uh, charity marath uh, uh, telephones and everything? They make it a point to show you they gave. Come on, who gets the credit for this? Obviously, they do. Now, a couple things here. Uh, Alepta is the smallest Greek copper coin. It's about 128th of a laborer's wage. And then you have the quadran, which is a small copper coin, which is about 164th of a laborer's wage. I'm sure inquiring minds here wanted to know that. So I told you. Okay. But why is this mentioned in the gospel? Ah, better question. This is Mark's gospel. Mark is written to the Romans and to the Roman audience. So this is something the Romans would pick up on fast that the Jews would probably ignore if it was Matthew's gospel. So here, this emphasizes the importance here of what the widow did. And that's the point here uh, that she gave out of her poverty. So that when we read this uh, account here of people giving in the temple, and we go back here to verse 41, Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and began watching how people put, were putting their money into the treasury. How about that? Jesus watches the offerings. He looks. He looks at people who give into the offering. Isn't that a wild one? Because he's looking at how people give, not how much they give. Here, what's the motivation is what matters in, in, in Jesus' mind. And of course, he points it out here that Jesus isn't impressed here with the size of the gift itself. He takes notice of the heart of the giver, not the size of this giver. This poor widow gave in faith. Now, it doesn't tell us any more about her. What was her future days like? Do you think God forgot her? 
I don't think so. What do you think? I think, that God, I think God quite remembered her, and it's just not written here what he did. But the point is, she had to do that in faith for God to notice her. It was an act of faith. Tell you a true story. Um, I won't mention the pastor's name, but there was a pastor in this area. He's got home to be with the Lord. Um, he uh, started pastoring a church at a very young age uh, in Pennsylvania. He was uh, Assemblies of God. And um, where he started was in a coal mining area. Now, in the coal mining areas, these folks are pretty poor. Uh, unless you're a coal miner. Coal miners can make a great deal of money if they work hard enough. But generally, if you're not in the coal mine itself, it's, it, they're pretty much an area where people don't make a lot of money. And uh, he was the type of pastor where his house was right next to the church. So uh, it was after Sunday, I think it was Sunday, no, it was probably the next day, Monday, if I remember the story correctly. Um, a woman knocked on his door, part of his congregation. She was a widow. She had a lot of children. Uh, she had a slight business on the side, which made some money, I think, from bakery goods. or I don't know. I don't remember the whole story. But she made very little money, barely enough to live on. So she knocks on the pastor's door and says, I couldn't be at church this Sunday. Some of my children weren't well, so I had to stay home with them. But I wanted to give my tithe to the church. And the pastor's looking at her, looking at her poverty, and inside he's going, I don't want your money. And, he, and she hands him the money, just change. Puts it in the palm of his hands, says thank you, blessings to you. Closes the door and starts crying. Why, Lord, why? She needs this more than I do. Why, Lord? This is, and the Lord quickly corrected them. She needs to do this. This belongs to the Lord's church, and I will alone uh, the Lord told him, I will alone see to the giver and take care of the giver. If you had refused her to give you these funds, that would have been a disgrace. You just receive it. It's not all about you. It's about her and me together, the connection we have. Whenever we give into offerings, it doesn't go into men's hands. We use it for the sake of the gospel. Your giving goes to the Lord. Your faith goes to the Lord. And that's why you should pray for your church that they do right financially and do what honors the Lord. Yes, we all want to. And, but remember, that's connected between you and the Lord. He and he alone knows how to honor your giving in faith. Just like this poor widow here, honored, uh, the Lord honored her faith. And the poor widow we see here, she gave because it was her nature to give. And you know, that, isn't that true? Father God is a giver. God so loved the world. It was his nature and he gave us his only son. We have the same nature. So in closing tonight, I want to encourage us all that we need to pick up on this topic of men and women of prosperity. Men and women who are givers. It's because of who you are. It's because of who Jesus made you. Do we think this way? Do we act this way? Those are the bigger questions. We need to believe it is God's will to prosper us. Because a lot of people just don't believe that. They believe it may be for someone else, but certainly not for me. Look at the things I did in my life. It's not based on you. It's based on his forgiveness, and he prospers his believers. So then do we act in that way as a giver? In what we ever have in our hand to give, are we constantly looking for ways to give? So why would I present a topic like this? Um, well, we're getting, my, my thought was we're getting ready to come into a new year. And it's very important that we don't enter 
a new year with a poverty mentality. Do yourself a favor. Don't enter the new year with a poverty mentality. Uh, we need to kill those poverty mentalities that we've had from years past. Sometimes it's the way we were raised. Sometimes it's experiences of life that hurt us. But we need to kill the poverty mentality. Why bring that into a new year? Let's kill that tonight. Can you agree with that? Let me pray for you, but let's all do this together. Do me a favor. Take your wallet out. No, I'm not going to receive an offering. Take your wallet out. If you don't have your wallet with you, then use your hand. Put it towards heaven. Take your wallet out. Hold on to it for a second. And I'm going to have you just put it up in the air to the Lord. Not right now. I want to pray first. And then I'm going to have you repeat after me, okay? Let's pray. Father God, we tonight embrace the truth of your word, not men's traditions. We believe, Father God, it is your blessing on the giver, and you, you add no sorrow to it. We believe, Father God, that poverty and lack are enemies, and we reject them in the name of Jesus. We believe, Father God, uh, that wealth and riches belong in our homes. That, Father God, we have opportunities coming to us in the days to come that Father will bless us. And that, Lord, we will be faithful to do with the funds, Father, not only for our own needs, Father, but to be men and women who live as givers to honor you, Father, with our finances. So we break any poverty mentality. We break any curse of poverty that has come through family lines. And we say, no, it ends here in 2022. To lift up your wallets to the Lord, or your, if you don't have it, your hand, and just repeat after me, I agree with the Word of God. I receive abundance. I am a giver. I reject poverty and, and lack. I speak to my finances, and I declare increase, increase, increase. Come to me in 2023. 2023 will be my greatest year ever. And Father God, we thank you for this now in the name of Jesus. To look upon your people, Father, with favor. That, Lord, we would walk as men and women of a prosperous covenant, not a poverty covenant. Men and women, Father, who are here to be a blessing to the body of Christ, not a curse to them. Men and women, Father, who will honor your name in our giving and in our attitude of it. We thank you for this, Father God. And we will not be shaken because of you. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Can you agree and say amen? Amen. amen.